Well, good afternoon, uh, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Stephen, uh, one of the leaders here. Uh, some of you will have last seen me as a singing nun, um, but now it's my privilege uh, to bring uh, God's words uh, to us this afternoon as a church family. Uh, if you have a Bible with you or if you have your phones, then please turn with me to Mark's Gospel and chapter 4. And we're going to read a, a well-known account of when Jesus calmed the storm. So Mark chapter 4, it's on page 1006 in the Church Bibles, starting at verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you care if we drown?' He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, "'Quiet, be still.' Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm." He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this account that we have uh, preserved for us. And we pray as we ask the question this afternoon of the Lord Jesus, who is this, Lord, that you will reveal yourself clearly to us, whether we have never met with you before, whether we've been following you for years, we pray, Lord, that you will be in the business of changing lives this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we live in a world surrounded by questions, don't we? Some of them are faintly ridiculous. Uh, the customer service manager from Daz Washing Powder once began a, a letter to me with the insightful words, Dear Mr. Fletcher, are you a mum like me? Well, <laughs> no, probably not. I, I recently had to ask a, a shop assistant to come and help uh, solve a problem with the self-service checkout in Marks & Spencers. And the first thing he said to me when he came over... Are you Welsh? I still don't know whether he wasn't very good with accents or whether Welsh people in general are just not very good with self-service checkouts. <laughs> then there are puzzling questions. Why, when we've slept well, do we say, I slept like a baby, when most babies wake every few hours crying? Some questions have a much greater significance. Will you marry me? How long have I got to live? And then the ultimate question, a question with eternal consequences, the one that the disciples ask in verse 41 of Mark 4, as they look at Jesus and they ask, Who is this? I wonder how you would answer that question right now. I don't know all of you, um, Maybe a few here are not even sure that Jesus is real. Others may see him simply as a good man, a wise teacher, 
but no more than that. And there are those of you who know and love him as God, as Savior, Master, and Lord, but who know that there is always more to know. Who is this? Now, Mark gives us this account of Jesus calming the stormers as part of a block of evidence in the opening chapters of the gospel showing Jesus' authority. He teaches with authority. He demonstrates the authority to heal, the authority to forgive sin. In chapter 5, he goes on to show authority over death by raising a girl to life. And here, he demonstrates authority over nature. Now, I have to be honest with you, I just don't do boats. Imagine my horror only last week on holiday in Norway when Jane and I sauntered down to the quayside with coffee flasks in hand, ready for our genteel fjord cruise trip, to discover that we'd actually booked on a fast inflatable rib boat (laughs) where coffee flasks were entirely inappropriate. Uh, Now, that trip went surprisingly well, uh, but I I have history. Um, I was still recovering from a memorable hovercraft trip to Calais in 1990, uh, when I went 16 years later with the young lady who is now Mrs. Fletcher on a boat to the island of Staffa off the coast of Scotland. Uh, I'm still recovering from that journey today, and Mrs. Fletcher is still recovering from being on that journey with me as well. Just reading Mark 4 makes me want to take a travel tablet. And yet, the ocean on that happy day in Scotland was a mill pond compared to this. Uh, The words that we have translated furious squall just don't quite come across uh, in the English. The, The Sea of Galilee lies well below sea level and is surrounded by hills, and wind blowing across the land intensify close to the sea, often causing violent and unexpected storms. But that would have been no surprise to the disciples. Many of them, Peter, Andrew, James, John, were fishermen. This is what they did. They handled storms on Lake Galilee. And yet here is one so dramatic that even they panic. Scholars think that Mark's gospel is largely based on the eyewitness account of Peter. As I said earlier, there may be one or two of you here who are not even sure if the biblical accounts of Jesus are real. But look at the detail in the story, the time of day, the cushion on the stern, the other boats, all the the kind of things that you would get in a real eyewitness account of something that actually happened. But I think maybe the strongest evidence for the reality of this account is the fact that if Peter was making up a story... He would not admit that he and his sturdy, strong, experienced fisherman friends turned to one described as a teacher in a storm. What could a teacher do? I tried it in Scotland at the time Jane was a head teacher. Nothing. (laughs) Unless the teacher was more than just a teacher. Who is this? And I want to share three key thoughts with you this afternoon as we think through the answer to that question. Uh, Firstly, Jesus is fully man, 
fully God. Second, Jesus is fully sufficient. And thirdly, Jesus is fully trustworthy. So firstly, Jesus is fully man, fully God. Firstly, Mark gives us a glimpse of Jesus' humanity. He was asleep in the stern on a cushion. Why? Because he was tired. Our passage starts with that day when evening came. He said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. We'll come back to that later. The day had been a long one for Jesus, teaching the crowds and the disciples in Mark 4. And so he slept, like you and I. He is obviously shattered. Here is a weary man who sleeps deeply on a cushion on the deck of a pitching boat in the middle of a horrendous storm. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we read of Jesus being hungry, thirsty, of him crying, being tempted. Yet Mark had begun his gospel like this, the opening sentence of chapter 1, with the words, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he has then lined up proof after proof that Jesus is not just a man. And how is that demonstrated in our passage? Well, you probably don't need a preacher to show you that, because only God could do what Jesus did. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. You and I can't do that, and nor can teachers. Try it with your bathwater. Try it in the middle of the English Channel on a hovercraft, but make sure you're on your own when you do. Notice again the surprising eyewitness detail in Mark's account. Maybe you want to explain this away. The storm stopped as swiftly as it started, and Jesus just happened to speak at the same time. Yet, note that it became instantly and completely calm. Waves don't do that straight away, even after the wind has died down. This is supernatural. Jesus is demonstrating that he is fully God with authority over nature. And the disciples are starting to see it. The one who had created water and sky by his word stood in the boat with them. They were in the process of understanding who Jesus is. But what they saw on Lake Galilee that day gave them further evidence that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God made man. The disciples knew their Old Testament scripture and how that spoke of only God controlling the sea. Um, you can look it up if you, if you want with me, but let me read you a couple of verses from Psalm 89. It's on page 598 if you do want to follow. Uh, Psalm 89, where we read this. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. 
And if we were to flick over a few more pages to Psalm 107, uh, we read another passage that speaks of people going out on the sea in ships, coming into a storm. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. The disciples in the boat would have known those psalms. They would have known that this was God. Jesus is fully man, fully God. Son of God, son of man. But so what? What does that mean? And why does it matter? And I just want to go beyond the immediate context of Mark 4 for a moment into the, the rest of the gospel as we consider our second point. Jesus is fully sufficient. Jesus is fully sufficient. We may not have been there on the Sea of Galilee that day to watch Jesus calm the storm, but we are privileged to have the Bible to explain the wonderful truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is the God-man, possessing absolute deity and true humanity. Not two people, but one person with two natures, fully God, fully man, not half and half. The eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one who had always existed in perfect loving relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, took on human flesh, left the glory of heaven and came to earth as a baby, Jesus, at a particular time and place. And yes, it's only 137 days till Christmas, if you're wondering. He did not stop being God, but he took on humanity, yet was without sin. He took on a, a human body, mind, emotions, and will. He grew tired, thirsty. He experienced joy, sorrow, fear, rejection. He prayed to his father. He learned the scriptures. Yet he was always fully God. Colossians 2.9 summarizes the, the majesty of this for us. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now, we could be here for hours trying to fathom the wonders of that. The, the truths of God are bound to be big because he's God. But let me just outline briefly and simply why Jesus came why Mark writes his gospel. In a nutshell, it's to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we should have died. The Lord Jesus Christ came to reveal God to us, to live sinlessly and obediently amongst us, to rescue us from sin through his death in our place on the cross, and to make it possible for us to live in relationship with God now and eternally. Jesus both is and does all that is necessary for us to be put right with God. He is sufficient. He had to be fully man to identify with those he came to rescue, to be our representative. He had to be fully God to make that rescue effective. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. 
a life of obedience to the Father. Jesus willingly obeyed God's law in its entirety. He lived a life of perfect, sinless righteousness. Since Adam, the first man, humans had not. You and I do not. Christ walked the path that we should have walked in total submission to and dependence on God the Father. He, he shows us the way. And he lives a real life through the muck and the mire. Never ever say that Jesus doesn't understand the life that you have to live. For those who trust him, he will sustain through the muck and through the mire. A life of perfect obedience and a death of perfect sacrifice. We've talked already in the service about how a holy God has to judge sin. There, there has to be a penalty for our rebellion and disobedience against God that started with the first Adam. Romans 5 tells us that for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Obedience even to death on a cross. We may wonder at the scene of the Son of God being asleep in a boat in a storm, but how much more should we wonder when we see him nailed between two thieves on a cross outside Jerusalem? Jesus, described in Scripture as the last Adam, willingly goes to the cross to take that penalty in our place. God in Christ took our sins upon himself, and his death was sufficient. He had to be a man to die in the place of sinners. He had to be God for the sacrifice to be sufficient, for only a sinless sacrifice would be enough. If there's one Bible verse that sums up the Christian message in a sentence, it's this from 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the love of God for you. On the cross, our sin is put on Jesus' account as if it were his own. And because of the cross, if we put our faith and trust fully in Jesus Christ, his perfect righteousness is counted as ours. So that when God looks at the mess and the sin and the rebellion of our lives, the selfishness of our lives, he sees Jesus. As we sometimes sing, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Jesus reverses the curse of Adam's disobedience. He is head of a, a redeemed humanity, of those who will put their faith and their trust in him and who will reign with him forever. The resurrection proves that Christ was victorious over sin, Satan, death. He sits now in heaven interceding for those who are his. Yet he sits still as a man. Yes, with a glorified body, 
now never slumbering or asleep, but still a man for eternity. Christians will be able to look at the scars in our Lord's hands, feet, and side that speak of the love of his descent from the glory of heaven to the manger in Bethlehem and on to Calvary. So, who is this? Back on the boat for the disciples, this calming of the storm is the next block of evidence as they see who Jesus really is, as they learn to put their faith and trust in him. But let's bring this passage closer to home into Globe Church in Lecture Theatre 2 at 5.21 on the 11th of August. If you came here this afternoon thinking that Jesus was not real, just a figment of someone's imagination, has this passage from the Bible made you stop and think? And what if you came thinking that Jesus was a good teacher, said some wise things, he set an example, but no more than that. Deep down, even at this stage, the disciples knew he was more than that. They were the late Galilee experts. They wouldn't plead with a teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus cannot just be a good teacher because he himself claims to be God, If he claimed that and wasn't, if he claimed that and couldn't back it up with his actions, if the waters had continued to rage, he wouldn't be a good teacher. He would be deluded or a trickster. Many of you will have heard the the famous quote from C.S. Lewis on that subject. Uh, If not, go home and Google the phrase C.S. Lewis poached egg and read what he says. And even if we've been Christians for years, it's worth being reminded of. Our Savior, the man Christ Jesus, is the sovereign Lord of heaven who can control the sea with a word. And wherever we stand this afternoon, he longs for us to put our faith and trust in him, to let him be Lord in our lives. You know, there should always be a reverent awe when we see who Jesus is. Notice that the disciples don't high-five one another when the storm stops, but they are filled with reverent fear. In a sense, there is a storm after the calm. Who is this? And, you know, we all need to keep in mind that he is God and we are not. We all need to come to God in daily repentance for the way we fail him. Maybe some of us know that we need to do that for the first time today and ask for his forgiveness. You know, we should be terrified if we know that we face God's judgment against sin because we haven't trusted in Christ's death for us in our place. In a sense, the way for us to be delivered from fear is fear. To come to God in reverent awe, on our knees, acknowledging our sin and our need of him. He will not turn anyone away. There's another occasion in Luke's gospel in chapter 5 when Jesus provides Peter with a miraculous catch of fish. Peter's response is to fall to his knees and say, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
But Jesus goes nowhere. He simply calls Peter to follow him, to trust him. Jesus is fully man, fully God. Jesus is fully sufficient. And lastly, Jesus is fully trustworthy. He calls us to follow him and put our trust fully in him. He is the object of our faith, as well as its author and perfecter. He doesn't make mistakes, but he does understand things that we don't. And he calls us to trust and follow him. Not a religion, not a set of rules, but a who. Our faith is in him. But if we do that, can we trust him? Let's just glance back at why these disciples were in the middle of this storm in the first place and not tucked up in their beds back in Capernaum. Verse 35 of our passage. That day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Now there is much that can be said about faith and storms and the Christian life. But as we close this afternoon, just note these three. Firstly, if we are Christians, alongside the immeasurable joy of following him, God will take us through storms. Jesus wasn't surprised by the furious squall on the lake. The Christian will go through trials. The disciples were on the lake in obedience to Jesus. Let us go over, he said. So they took him. The sufferings of human life, illness, sadness, come into Christian lives, Christian homes, Christian families, as they come into every life. We will experience hostility for our faith because the world hates God. Sometimes God will quell the trials swiftly, but often those trials will be hard and stressful, and sometimes we may cry, don't you care? And God sometimes may appear silent. And there will be times when we buckle. Anyone who tells you that the path of Christian discipleship is always one of success and growth and material reward is no disciple of Christ. Jesus often calls us through the storm to test the reality of our faith in him. Faith which, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, is of greater worth than gold. He wants us to learn to trust him absolutely, even when he seems to be asleep, that he may be glorified. He wants us to continue to call on him in complete dependence simply because of who he is. But notice, secondly, that when the storm rages, he is there with us. His promise of, I will never leave you or forsake you, is just that, a promise. This is no, make your way to the other side and I'll meet you there. But this is a picture of his compassion, how much he cares. Let us go across. He is with us every step of the way. His very presence is ultimately what we need. And we should not always be looking to him to do things to solve our problem. 
It is enough to be with the Lord, whether the way is smooth or rough. It's an old but a a true adage that we are far safer in the middle of the storm with Christ than anywhere else without him. And lastly, he will bring us to the other side. That's where he told the disciples they were going, and that's where he took them. That was the promise of his word. And we must ask God to help us to trust him, to see more clearly who he is, to ask for his help so that the noise of the storm doesn't drown out the authority of his word. In the immediate context, on the other side of the lake in Mark 4, Jesus had a divinely ordained appointment with a demon-possessed man, Mark 5. He knew that was where he was headed. And beyond that, he knew he was headed for the cross. And the New York pastor Tim Keller writes this, On the cross, Jesus was thrown into the ultimate storm, under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice, of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm wasn't calmed, not until it swept him away. He took the storm of God's judgment against sin on our behalf. Don't you care if we drown? That's how much he cares. And if you've put your faith and trust in him and his death, one day he will still all life storms for eternity. He will bring you safely into his presence forever. No question. Peter, one of those early disciples, was later able to write, and with this I close from 1 Peter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Who is this? Is Jesus who he said he is? Fully God, fully man, fully sufficient, fully trustworthy, now and forever. Why would you put your faith and trust anywhere else? Now there's a question. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for uh, his reality. 
We thank you for his authority over nature that we've seen in this passage uh, this afternoon. But Lord, we thank you above all for his authority over sin and death. And Lord, we pray that as we uh, continue now to uh, worship in uh, song and as we gather to take communion together, Lord, that you will fix onto our hearts in a deep way the reality that Jesus is fully man, fully God, that he is fully sufficient and that he is fully trustworthy. And Lord, however we came into this building this afternoon, we pray that we will leave it seeking to trust him day by day, knowing that, yes, he's the one who can control the sea with a word, but is the one who gives us life here on earth and life eternal in his presence forever, that Jesus is the Savior, the Master, and the Lord. And we pray that you will help each of us to grasp that this afternoon and to be able to answer the question, who is this, by saying, Jesus is God, Jesus is my God. Amen.